0: everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another episode. We have a really interesting episode planned for you today. We're going to be talking about an emergency room physician for our bad doctor story. And it is, I will have to kind of warn you up front. I try to do this when it involves children. This does involve children. And so I'll just say that up front, just, just letting you know. And for our good doctor story, it's also an emergency room physician. And it, it's it's just one of the most, I don't know, uplifting stories. So I can't wait to get to tell you about that. But before we get started, I, I need to introduce my guest host for this week. I have with me nurse practitioner Heather. Hello, Heather.
1: Hello, Tina.
0: So good to have you on the podcast. You are a nurse practitioner at a, a family medicine practice, and so you just see all sorts of different people all day
1: long, diagnosing yes. all sorts of things, right? Yes, yes. It can, and you never know and what what you're going to get what's going to what happen in the world. Yeah, <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> what's going to walk
0: through the door with symptoms.
1: True. Yeah, I
0: know that for me, I've been at my doctor's office before, and some kind of crazy stuff will go on, like they'll be, they'll be ambulances that are coming in, people are passing out. I'm always wondering, like, what in the world's going on back there? Because it can be really super chaotic. And then they'll come and call my name. And, and I, here I go sauntering back there for my little checkup, you know. And, and I'm just sitting there like, what's going on, guys? You know, I work on a cardiac <laughs> floor. So I'm like, is there anybody doing chest compressions? Anything going on? And, I, <laughs> and so then, you know, the, the nurse will come in and they'll be like, whoo, it's kind of crazy out there. I'm like, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, it can be for sure. So I think sometimes people maybe show up to see their nurse practitioner or their PA or or their doctor, and maybe they should have gone to an emergency room. Oh, absolutely.
1: That happens a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, But nobody
1: wants, you know, people don't want to go sit in the emergency room. And I understand that.
0: Yeah. And they think somehow that coming to see you, somehow that's going to Keep them out of the emergency room, which I guess if you call, if you end up calling 911 and they get bring in an ambulance to get them. Well, you're going to get seen quicker, that's for sure. I guess guess so. But
1: that's one way to do it. If you're going to do that, why don't you
0: just call the ambulance from your
1: house? Yeah. A lot of patients think that if they come to the doctor's office first, that then their physician can call ahead and they'll bypass the waiting room. And that's not the case. Mm -hmm. You yeah. Know, so. um, yeah. Maybe
0: a long time ago it worked that way, but now we don't have mm-hmm. people usually, especially in larger hospitals, family medicine providers don't typically have privileges in these large hospitals. And so they're just like anybody else trying to, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Their only hope would be maybe if they know somebody that works there, if they know a hospitalist, usually is about your best bet, you know, calling your friend if they happen to be working. Yeah. but It might um, shave a off a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, they still can I, only
1: do what they can do. <laughs> they
0: can only do what they can do. I have to say, I have benefited from that once with my husband where I was, everything fell just in the, in the right space. And I was able to have him direct admitted into the hospital instead of having to go through that whole other route. So I, I really nice. app- appreciated that, but definitely not the case normally. So if you've got something <laughs> going on that's emergent, you know, Don't, if if you, you know, go into your doctor's office or to see your nurse practitioner or your PA, you're going to slow things, the whole process down because all that time, you know, you really could have been at the ER getting checked in, getting triaged. And if if you're having, obviously, if you're having a heart attack,
1: having a stroke, time is of the essence. So, absolutely. And people do come to their primary care for those. Like we've had those actively (laughs) come to us that we've had to call an ambulance. And, and, and there's I'm, nothing –
0: not, you're not going to – short of them, If obviously, if they code, you're going to start doing, you know, ACLS protocol. But, I mean, if, if they you're, – you're not going to do the things, you know, that you need to do. You can't take them for a CT at right? our doctor's
1: office, right? <laughs> so Yeah. yeah we can't even do the ISTAT. We don't have, you know, the capability to do SAT labs either. I mean, mm. we do, but it's not as – not the same – later that same day. It's not yeah. – right then so
0: if you're listening to this maybe just kind of take this as a little i like to uh, throw a little education in there every chance i get you've got something emergent going on something where time is of the essence you definitely should just go on and bite the bullet and go to the emergency room because absolutely you're just you're, you're not doing yourself any favors by you know going to your 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 primary care provider for that for sure Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house. So it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. Are you looking to take your career to the next level? Consider enrolling in the Doctor of Nursing Practice Program at UC Irvine. The program offers a post-master's track for MSN-prepared nurses and a family nurse practitioner track for those with at least a BSN. Their program, of course, is fully accredited and their graduates are highly sought after by healthcare organizations across the country. If you're ready to take the next step in your nursing career, I encourage you to explore UCI Irvine's DNP program today. Visit nursing.uci.edu to learn more and, of course, we'll put a link on our website and you can access it at goodnursebadnurse.com. Well, I guess we can get started with this story. This is a really interesting story. And one one of the things that I found the most interesting about it is that it is kind of back in the day. And there's been a lot of talk in the past few years about a lot of nurses, but also some, some physicians who have come under scrutiny and under criminal investigation because of errors that they've made while doing their job, you know, like medication errors, ordering the wrong thing, just actually being criminally charged. And I've been very outspoken against criminally charging healthcare professionals for errors that they've made while, you know, good faith errors. They legitimately just doing their job to the best of their ability, make a mistake. And it unfortunately costs someone their life. I am absolutely against arresting someone like that. I feel like we have uh, enough of a problem in this country, enough of a shortage of
1: mm-hmm.
0: healthcare providers, nurses, doctors, all uh, this, our specialists. Doing that is only going to deter people, right, from, right. from going into that field. And
1: we need them. We need, Let's, right? Yes. We need people taking care of us. It's already deterring nurses, you know, just absolutely for absolutely is
0: absolutely, that have happened and so recently. when I looked at this, I found this story. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is from 1996 that this happened," and it's not a nurse. I I was really surprised when I saw it. So this is the story of Wolfgang Schug. I think is is how you maybe pronounce that name. He was a physician in California. He worked as an emergency room physician, as I said, in Redbud County Hospital in Clear Lake which is an isolated mountainous region 110 miles north of San Francisco. So I am um, I will tell you that I've been working recently as a transfer coordinator and I've been I deal with hospitals all across the country and I'm talking New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, some places that where it, There can be some very rural areas, and will not be a hospital for hundreds of miles. And especially if you're looking for a specific specialty, so you may have like a little, you know, it's kind of a small critical access type hospital. But if you're needing OB, if you're needing GI, if you're needing a general surgeon, you're going to have to go three, four hundred miles. You're going to fly them hundreds and hundreds of miles away from their home. Mm. So, and this particular hospital with only mm forty beds. It's one of those hospitals. Yeah. It's a tiny little hospital, right? hmm And so in February of 1996, an 11-month-old Cody Burroughs was taken to the emergency room three times over a 48-hour period. So Dr. Shug attended to the child on the first and third visits. The child had symptoms of fever, vomiting, and diarrhea. The doctor initially diagnosed the child with an ear infection and prescribed an antibiotic. The next day, Cody's condition improved, but he later became sicker, prompting his parents to take him back to the emergency room, where another physician diagnosed a common gastrointestinal illness and recommended an electrolyte solution to prevent dehydration. A few hours later, when doctor Shug was back on duty, the family rushed Cody back to the emergency room after his condition worsened. So this is I feel so I, I'm a I'm a parent, I have three grown children. Uh, I've been through these situations multiple times, you know, it's just scary. And I, I went to nursing school later in life. So I wasn't a nurse while my children were young. But I would imagine that even if I had been a nurse, it would have still been just as scary because it's your sure. own children. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So you go yeah. into this mode of I don't know what to do when it's when it's a loved one.
0: You don't want to th- overthink it. You don't want to overreact. You don't want to not make the right decision, you know, and you, you, unfortunately, you know, all of the bad things that can happen and you know, all those things go through your head and you're, you're just thinking, am I, am I overthinking this too much? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? And then you take your child to the emergency room and they basically are just like here, you know, they give them some stuff and send them away. And then that sort of plays into your thinking, you're thinking, well, maybe I did overreact, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, After approximately eight hours in the emergency room, Dr. Shug was unable to determine what was causing Cody's symptoms and recommended that he be transferred to another facility as this little red bed community hospital didn't have a specialized pediatric care unit, as you said, very small hospital. I'm sure it didn't have a lot of resources and probably weren't really used to
1: dealing with children in general. No, not that, you know, in that role of an area. I would say they didn't get a whole lot of pediatric. But maybe yeah. they did. <laughs> and I,
0: um, you know, that's another thing to kind of ha- take this opportunity to tell people like if, you know, if you have the option of a children's hospital in your area that's anywhere within a reasonable driving distance, you should definitely take your child to the the children's hospital and it's not because the 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 doctors and nurses that are at these other hospitals are not capable of caring for your patient of your of your baby or of your child it's a lot of times they don't even have the equipment that they need but they also they may not have the experience and where if they worked in a children's hospital if they worked with children they would get the experience they would understand their little bodies and how they work so much differently but if you're not used to it and you are you know. mistakes can be made and just if you don't have the equipment that's smaller all everything is
1: smaller right I mean absolutely and it's and the treatments are different you know they're very different and the the when you look at the cause you you don't you look for different causes in children than you do adults for illness and
0: yeah and their vital signs are different all of their normals are so much different (laughs) I never have never worked with children other than a very brief time when I was travel nursing and they would try to give me a baby at a little bitty hospital like this and I would just be like no I do not I am not taking a baby as a patient I have no experience whatsoever I am not going to do it. I'm not taking that responsibility
1: on other than the experience of me refusing to take a patient. <laughs> I, well, I mean, but you know what? Good for you for doing that, you know, because you, we, we also as providers need to know our limits. We need to know our, our limitations, what we can and can't handle and what we are comfortable with. Yes. Right,
0: so. Yes, that's that is absolutely true. You have to be able to say got to put your foot down and say, this is not safe for me, my license or this patient. Absolutely not. cannot do this. The downfall here is that the closest hospital that was able to provide specialized pediatric care was 55 miles away in Santa Rosa. So with local emergency transport system experiencing delays of an average of 75 minutes, the doctor recommended that Cody's parents, Rhoda Thomas and David Burroughs, take the child by way of private vehicle. And I'll say that that's that actually is something that I've seen quite a bit too as a transfer coordinator. Mm-hmm. Where they'll be like, okay, this patient's going to go private vehicle. If they are capable, they don't want to pay for an ambulance, and they feel like they can get there faster because it, even just getting in their car, obe- obeying all the laws, they can get there faster than we can schedule an ambulance. That's having these delays, and you know that just happens sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that you know there were saying that that particular day, apparently there wasn't any delays, but statistically it had been. So I don't know if that was the reason that they decided to go ahead and and do it that way, but didn't check first. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah. And maybe
0: in his experience, maybe he day in, day out working as an ER physician and uh, having experience after experience of trying to get transportation for patients needing to go to another hospital and being told oh we're having a delay we're having a delay and it takes forever and maybe even not necessarily that you you, you may not call them and they say oh it's going to be 75 minutes it's just that it turns out to be 75 minutes like mm-hmm. you think it's going to be faster and then by the time they get there it it's ta- it takes a, a while and then in in the meantime they could have already had the 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 child there and that's i would imagine that's what in his mind what he's thinking it's so what's sure. best for the child is to get there as quickly as possible mm-hmm. as opposed to thinking you know that it would be best if he stays there at his hospital and let them manage the baby medically as as much as possible and do the best that they can with him and then when the ambulance gets there at least during the transport they will have medical equipment available for the baby if, it, you know, if the baby does go into respiratory arrest like, and to declines quickly where yeah. they have the ability to intubate and, you know, take care of it as opposed to if you're in a private vehicle with mom and dad,
1: you're not going to be able to do that. That's that's true. And I, I think, you know, with a, a child that young, his, his thinking process, I would assume would be whatever's quickest. And if statistically it's faster to drive, that's what I would recommend you do. And also, I guess it would depend on how sick was he presenting Mm -hmm. at the moment. So uh, apparently he felt that he was stable enough to go that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: We all know that when we're taking any medication or supplement, dosage matters, and it's important to take enough to get the desired result. For example, only taking a 10 milligram Tylenol might not help with your headache. Well, the same is true for CBD. If you try a low dose CBD product, you may not feel anything. But it's not the CBD's fault. The dosage is the problem. This is why CBD Stat only makes high dose CBD products that actually work. And now their products are getting even stronger. CBD Stat is happy to announce that they're launching a new extra strength version of its highly popular topical products that have 7,500 milligrams of CBD. affordable. And don't forget all you healthcare workers out there get a special additional discount to help keep you strong. Just head to cbdstat.care forward slash healthcare and find your new secret weapon. That's cbdstat.care forward slash healthcare. Well, taking the doctor's suggestion, Cody's parents sped through the 55 miles of winding mountain roads to the hospital. The child tragically was pronounced brain dead upon arriving to the hospital. The parents filed a malpractice suit against Dr. Shog at the hospital and the hospital. The doctor was charged with murder and faced a 15 year prison sentence and a hefty fine. If convicted this, this is what I'm talking this about. Like this is crazy. I mean, this was 1996, a long time ago. And for them to charge a physician like this at a hospital for essentially making, I mean, make a mistake. It, there's no indication whatsoever that he maliciously was just like i don't want to be responsible for this baby so get him out of here
1: it was just what's best for the baby it seems like to me yeah but murder not you know malpractice not negligence but just murder mm-hmm. i i that blows my mind uh-
0: yeah prosecutors allege that the doctor failed to recognize cody's lethal condition and then after realizing his errors He sent the child off by private car to another hospital in an attempt to avoid responsibility. They also argued that Dr. Shug had acted in complete disregard for the child's life by transferring Cody without first stabilizing him or calling an ambulance. A medical expert at the trial testified that Dr. Shug had taken the proper course of action in administering care to the child. He ordered a chest x-ray. Put the baby in a tepid bath to try to bring down his temperature of 105.5 degrees and tried unsuccessfully to find a vein for an intravenous line. He also received one and a half ounces of Pedialyte orally for what was noted at the time to be mild dehydration. When questioned about his decision to send the parents via private car to Santa Rosa Hospital, the doctor remarked that he thought that it would be faster than by ambulatory transport given their recent delays. He certainly didn't look critical or lethargic in the medical sense, Dr. Shug said in a previous interview, or like he was going downhill so rapidly that he didn't even have an hour or two. So during the trial, the prosecution tried to discredit the doctor's decision by calling on a paramedic from the ambulatory service. She testified that an ambulance was available that evening and could have been at the hospital within five minutes. As I'm looking at this story, this information is frustrating, and it seems like there definitely seems like there were errors made
1: here. It's not like you can say he did everything right. Right. I mean, yeah. for I think he sure. should have at least called the ambulance service and said, "Hey, what is your expected time?" Or
0: yeah, and I feel like maybe recognizing earlier that the that this baby was in this kind of distress, how sick he was, and getting him transported out of there a lot earlier. There was a lot of back and forth, you know, mom and dad bringing him and going back home and bringing him and going back home and bringing him. And it just seems like that waiting, you know, just kind of like him hauling around and not, you know, making a decision early enough on and going, you know, this is, this baby really needs to be at a higher level of care. We're going to call and get him transported somewhere else. You know, you make that decision before, you know, in plenty of time so that you have time. So that 75 minutes doesn't seem so crucial. I mean, you're if, if, if 75 minutes of waiting for an ambulance is so long that that's going to be detrimental to the baby's care, then we probably waited too long,
1: right? Right. And, you know, I, I mean, arguably was not in any condition for transfer. Mm-hmm. Maybe should have called in a specialist. Right.
0: And that's a whole nother thing because is, is there someone available? What do you do in the in these situations when you have an unstable patient? I mean, you have a baby, you can have a, a person, an adult, anyone who's so sick that the the medical professional that is there at that moment is just they, their medical expertise just do not go that far. They're not that is not their area, so they really don't feel like they're giving that that patient the the proper care because they don't have the knowledge, they don't have the resources, they don't. It's just not their area. Mm-hmm. But yet an ambulance is going to say that patient is too unstable. We can't transport them. They would probably die in route. So now what do you do? What if there's nobody available to come in? There is this little tiny rural hospital and there's just no one around for it. What do you do?
1: I don't know. I don't know if they have protocols in place to where there's specialists they can call in. or And then, and then if they do, how long will it take them to get there? Do they mm-hmm. even live close by? There's, you know, Lifestar, is that available? I don't know, or, you know, emergency helicopter. I don't know what it's called in different states, but, you know, if, if that's available, is that something that, that could have been done? Or is it true that he did not seem as sick as he otherwise was? Because I, I, you know, I could argue that I've seen some patients seemingly be okay and go and then just a very fast spiral that you mm-hmm. just don't see coming and not trying to play devil's advocate, but, you know, not being there, it's hard to judge. What exactly was going on, and how how sick was this baby presenting to be versus what was going on internally? Yes, absolutely, and I, and I, I'm sure it was devastating and and
0: just yes, so horrific for the parents. Oh, I can't imagine. Oh. I, it's 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 terrible. They are trying to they're looking at the situa- at this situation like we put our trust in this doctor and he sure. failed us. He failed our our child, and so they they want him to pay at the highest price possible. And and I can understand that, but I don't believe that it's appropriate to have people in those situations making those decisions because if they're way too close to the situation. You know, we have to be able to make with kind of sound judgment, decide, you know, what is best for society. Is it best for society for us to look at decisions that a doctor, a PA, a nurse practitioner make in these critical situations and if they make an error in judgment potentially arrest them and criminally charge them and have them facing 10 15 20 years in prison for these decisions is it is that what's best for our society because really that's probably going to cause us to have fewer and fewer providers and so to me that's always been my argument against doing that
1: yes yes unless you know unless it's obvious you know you know Yeah. And that happens.
0: It definitely happens. I mean, I do, I've done many of those stories where it's obvious that someone was being negligent. They were being, they were deliberately being sloppy. They were, you know, Mm -hmm. there we did, I did one story where the the surgeon was, would just wear scrubs from home into the OR and just, and they, and they would even be like, people would notice that there would be like a tear and so they knew it was like the same pair they had on the day before, like things like that. And they would, they would deliberately do th- break, you know, sterile field and do, do things that they should know better. And then ultimately, you know, the patient ends up getting an infection, which could lead to death. So in that case, what am I all for? Possibly criminally charging someone like that? Well, they should definitely know that is absolutely negligence. Uh, at the very least. So I'm not talking about those situations. I'm talking about, you know, just people, practitioners doing their job right. to the best of their ability, making difficult decisions in very, very difficult situations yeah, with very limited resources many times. And so many of you live, I know, in these rural areas. So you know what I'm talking about when you have to go to, if you have to go to a specialist driving for hundreds of miles to see a specialist, if you ha- you end up going to the hospital, or have a loved one going to hospital, and they need a higher level of care, and you know that your your loved ones end up going hundreds of miles away, you know what I'm talking about. Do we want that situation even made worse because people are just like it is not worth it to me? It's I'm a human being. I know that it is as hard as I try, I can make a mistake. So it isn't worth it to me to. Risk being criminally charged, being arrested because of a mistake that I make while I'm trying to do my job.
1: Right. And that is how, you know, people, you know, providers or even potential providers will look at that, you know, based on things that happen historically, on um, errors or because they, they do happen. Like you said, it's human, human providers. And there will be some errors and hopefully not detrimental or with, you know, intention. Yes, absolutely. In 1998, the presiding judge acquitted the doctor of
0: all charges, citing that authorities failed to show that the physician had acted criminally. Thank you. (laughs) I really kind of wish we hadn't done it to begin with and put them through this, you know, this, the whole process because how stressful those two years must have been. I, I can imagine that this, this doctor was devastated. I am sure that this baby, you know, left his care and then and and died in such a horrific situation with it, you know, with his parents. His parents driving in the car with him must have just been, you know, just out of their minds, scared to death. And then for the, for the ending to happen the way it did, I'm sure that this has haunted this this doctor all these years. It's it's that third victim syndrome where we as healthcare professionals have. The ability, and unfortunately, it is, it happens where we make a mistake and someone dies as a result, and then we have to live with that for the rest of our lives. And many times, we are very empathetic people. We go into healthcare for a reason because we want to care for people, and so it is literally just morally destroying to us for something like this to happen. Yes, so it's bad enough that he's having to deal with that. But to put him through the process of this two-year ordeal where he doesn't know what the outcome's going to be and spending who knows how much money on a, an attorney to represent him to
1: try to get him out of this. That's really gut-wrenching all around because, you know, that that had to have been a hard two years for that family, a hard two years for the physician and his family. Just a horrible situation. After the trial, the doctor said that he did
0: try diligently to help the child He said, you go to work and you do the best you can. If something goes wrong, you should not be subject to 15 years in prison. This child was killed by an illness, which I was unable to stop. However, in 2002, the Federal Appeals Court reversed the previous court's decision and found the doctor negligent in treating the child. They ruled that Dr. Shug violated the prevailing standard of care by failing to give 11-month-old child the 11 month old child, anything to drink for nearly seven hours after he was admitted with symptoms that included
1: dehydration. I'm a little torn on that one because I feel like the doctor's not sitting there for the full seven hours. There's nurses, there's the parents to help. And, and, and it seems like in the previous, when the medical expert testified that he did give him some Pedialyte, you know, in the beginning and tried to start an IV, but you can't force a, you know, a baby mm-hmm. to drink things. I, I, and maybe if they couldn't get an IV, they couldn't get an IV. I, I don't, I don't know I what the right. why thing they wouldn't to have do. maybe done
0: an NG tube, or maybe yeah.
1: at this little hospital, maybe they didn't have a, a pediatric size. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's true, and that's what I'm talking. I was talking about earlier. If you don't have the resources to take care of children, and that it's very likely that they wouldn't have had, you know, an option for that. I don't know. I mean, seven hours is a long time for a baby, especially one that's vomiting and having the having the, and, and diarrhea. It is a very yes. long time for them. I would hope that the doctor didn't order the the, the baby uh, NPO. Surely not. That, but maybe it was just an oversight that they weren't pushing that, that they weren't encouraging it, and insisting that we try different methods of getting, you know, what, by any means necessary, getting fluids into. Into the you know the baby's stomach one way or another you know you can, there are things you can do I know just as a mother I know
1: yeah yeah know, using syringes and, something
0: mm-hmm. you can um. you can kind of you can get fluids into them so for some reason someone felt like it wa they didn't try hard enough mm-hmm. to hydrate this baby so undisputed expert testimony established that Dr. Shug should have attempted oral rehydration soon after Cody was admitted and this was from a three judge panel the court ordered a new trial on the question of whether the doctor's negligence caused the boy's death and there's not really any i don't know that they actually did another trial it, i believe that's just how it ended because that was in 2002 and that's been you know tw- over 20 years ago yeah i didn't see but anything. again <laughs> You're talking about a medical error. It is still a medical error. It's as tragic as it is. You know, we could be talking about, should he lose his license? We could be talking about, should he lose his job? Should he not be practicing medicine? Should he not be allowed to be in a setting, an emergency room setting? You know, we could discuss that stuff, but we're talking about prison. Mm -hmm. That's a huge leap to me. With a murder charge. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope and of course Y'all know the Echo technology company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core digital stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. Well, I guess that wraps it up for that bad doctor story. I hope we were able to learn some things from that. I told you guys we have a really interesting good doctor. I think you guys are going to like this story. So, Heather, I, you know, we we were discussing this before. These stories always are so uplifting and encouraging, and it's the reason that I like doing these stories later as it kind of helps to redeem the healthcare profession. because yeah. <laughs> it, it gets so depressing sometimes just thinking, oh my gosh, you know. This story came out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. You guys know I'm from Tennessee, but I'm not from that area. A resident physician gave a man the socks off his feet. And this sounds a little weird, but listen to the story. So a local doctor, this is from WDEF.com, a local doctor stopped to help a homeless man in downtown Chattanooga not knowing that someone was watching like completely unaware that someone was watching him and so he hopes he's thinking that you know he says now he hopes that this unwanted attention will um inspire someone to do the same i guess he's like okay i really didn't want anybody to it's not like i wanted attention or wanted anybody to know i was doing this but hey sure if if this inspires someone to be kind to someone else why not so he said, "I had had a long day. um I was kind of tired, and I honestly didn't want to talk to anyone, but he did one of his coworkers from Erlanger snapped a picture showing." Uh, resident physician, Dr. Thomas Sweets, handing over his socks to a man in need. Dr. Sweets says they are worthy of respect. So I tried to show everyone respect. We take care of a lot of people in the hospital that are in difficult circumstances. It's not always bad decisions that put somebody in a place of homelessness. I always try to Find something to give them so I started flipping in my bag looking for food or granola bar or something, and I didn't have anything. CEO of the community kitchen says that socks are something that they are in need of quite frequently. She says, "Here at the community kitchen, we go through at least 50 pairs of socks a day. If you think about being homeless, there are really only two things that you wouldn't want to wear again: socks and underwear. Those are two things that may be taken for granted. She said they really just need love and the reminder that they are people first and kindness goes a long way, especially at the holidays. So you might be wondering why Dr. Sweets didn't just hand over his shoes as well. He says, I'm a little embarrassed to be interviewed on TV because it's like, wow, why didn't you just give him your shoes? (laughs) It it looks like his feet were the wrong size, but he said, I thought, well, I can do something and I gave him the socks and I think he appreciated it.
1: So I think that's amazing that, you know. That he took the time to do that, and you know, just show a little, spread a little love. Mm-hmm. The thing is that it it's not an easy. It, it, think
0: about how depleted you are of energy and how exhausted you are when you leave a shift, and you just want to go home. You don't want to talk to anyone. I know that I will get in my car and just be like a zombie at the end <laughs> of a, you know a shift at the hospital. And he's a resident. Residents work long, long hours at yes, these they hospitals. Do. They go through so much, especially in an emergency room. They see so much. They are they're beat up on. I mean, it's just it's just sad. What what. What really anyone working at I don't care what position you're in, whether you're up there as the clerk answering the phone and doing intakes, you know, as people come in, sometimes those people get the worst of it, just because as oh, you know, people are coming yes. in, and they want to be seen immediately. And they that's the person they have to yell at.
1: That's A what CNA, I was gonna say. Yeah, <laughs> yell that things thrown yeah. at them.
0: People taking blood, blood you know phlebotomists. People get sick of you coming in there and and sticking them with a needle. Obviously, nurses we get we get the worst of everything. I feel like there's always, I mean, people get so mad waiting, you know, in the room, they get frustrated. Mm-hmm. So and and the, and the doctors, you know, they the people come in and they they want the they want doctors and nurse practitioners and PAs to fix them. They want to be fixed, and sometimes. It's just not possible to just here's a magic pill and now you're you can be on your way and everything's great.
1: That's just not the way it works. Yeah, which is why something like this is is so nice because this person wasn't asking and the, and this physician just out of the goodness of his heart, even after a long day of all of that, it was like, you know what, I care about you as a human being and here's some socks. <laughs> you know, here's something I mean, that I have to give.
0: I mean to the, the thing is that it would it would have been completely reasonable and nobody, you know, would think anything of it if if he had said, "Man, you know, I I've looked through my bag. I literally don't have anything to give you. I'm sorry." and then just walked on. Most people would have done that. Absolutely. To go the extra step of literally taking your own shoes off your feet and giving him your socks. I feel like it's so humbling, you know. I I just and then he had no idea anybody was watching him and then to have his picture snapped. And then the newspaper come along and want to talk to him about it. And he was just such a champ and just like, all right, fine, I'll talk about it. Th- we need more We need more providers like this, don't we? You know, people yes, obviously do. care so much about people.
1: Yes, we do.
0: It's- I love what he said about respecting everyone. Because mm-hmm. so many times in hospitals, I think it's easy to get jaded. It's easy to see people coming in and start judging people You know, for why are they there? Are they really as sick as they're saying they are? Are they really just wanting something else or coming in presenting with symptoms that they're having, but they're really have some other ulterior motive of something that they're wanting. And it's easy to just see that over and over and over again and start seeing the whole world through those glasses, right?
1: It is. And it's very easy to get jaded with those things, especially when you've you start to see what you know is referred to as frequent flyers that are just master manipulators that come mm-hmm. in repeatedly or even inmates but we can't not treat them we can't not care for them they're still no matter how, how her- you know what they've done who they are if they're mean if they're not mean they're someone's son or daughter or parent or brother or sister still a human being that deserves in, in- some level of respect
0: Absolutely. And we have taken on the responsibility of caring for people, and that means every single person. And so you have to stop and and think about the kind of person that you want to be. What kind of nurse do you want to be? What kind of doctor do you want to be? And if you allow the person that's sitting there, if you allow them to determine that based on who they are, then how are you really any better? You know, because you're almost lowering yourself to, to whatever you're accusing them of being by placing yourself on that, you know, going, you know, I'm, if, if this is how you are going to treat us or how you treat the world, you know, you choose to make these bad decisions, then I'm going to change the care that I give to you and I'm not going to be as kind to you. But if you, you know, you can choose to be a good, a good nurse, a good doctor, a good nurse practitioner, a good PA, a good CNA, whatever it is that you're Mm -hmm. doing. You can choose to treat people with kindness and respect no matter what and just try really hard not to judge them for why they're there. If they say they're in pain, they're in pain. Whatever Mm -hmm. they say is going on is what's going on and try not to read too much into it and try not to, you know, withhold care or treat them with hostility because everyone deserves to be treated equally. Everyone. And even if you think, I, I honestly just don't, I think that even people who are trying to manipulate, the people who come in that are that are rude, who really are trying to just manipulate the system, I try to even think about those people as, uh, you know, in terms of how did they get to that point? What got them started on that road? What, if they are, you know, a lot of people think people coming in there drug seeking, and that's something that people get accused of a lot in hospitals. I think that there is a lot more, a, acc- there are a lot more accusations turning around about that than actually are happening and that's really sad that makes me really sad wouldn't you mm-hmm. to me wouldn't you really be the kind of provider who's going to treat everyone equally and that way if you happen to be treating the people who are trying to manipulate you well so what But you're not going to treat someone who is legitimately in pain, who legitimately has something going on. You're not going to treat them wrong because that happens way too
1: often and it shouldn't. And if we're treating everyone the same, it wouldn't happen. Right. And, and like you said, pain is very subjective. You can't tell them they're not hurting. You can't, because you don't know. And honestly, most of the time in a hospital setting, you're seeing people at their worst. They're not at their best. They're, they're sick. They hurt. They don't feel good. And I have, I've been on that side of, of the bed as well, where I've been in pain and probably not the nicest to whoever was taking care of me, but not through any fault of my own. Or not intentionally, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's just more of a, a knee jerk reaction to I am hurting, and and you turning me hurts worse. So I'm sorry I yelled at you, but I, and I, it's nothing personal, you know. But and as a provider or a you know a nurse, a respiratory therapist, a CNA, whoever you have to be able to just kind of take that with a grain of salt and don't take it personal. And that's sometimes really hard to do. <laughs>
0: so. It is hard to do. It mm. is. And I, I've worked with so many different people. I know that the vast majority of people who go into healthcare who are working at the bedside, and not just at the bedside, just working in direct patient care and, and dealing with the public, are are people who really care about their patients and they want to help others. It's just that we get pulled down. You know, it's a lot of times we're, we're overworked. We have too much put on us. We have too mm-hmm. many patients to you know, given to us that then maybe more than we can safely take care of. Sometimes, especially in the hospital setting, mm-hmm. and it can be frustrating. And it's sometimes those that ugliness can seep out. So we have to just kind of reset.
1: Well, you have reset. to definitely yes reset work on it and just be aware of how you're how you know because they're already sick or. No, I don't want to say disgruntled, but you know, not at their best. So if you're also portraying that, or you know, I don't even know what word I'm trying to say right now, but exuding, yeah, a bad
0: attitude. You know, if you walk in with kind of a ed- chip on your shoulder, kind of an edge to you, they're going to feel that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely, yeah. But if
0: you come in and you're trying to be professional and you're trying to, at the very best, just stay, just be neutral and you you feel that coming from them, that negativity and um because who knows how many healthcare professionals they've been or come across that have been rude to them, so they just automatically kind of have this wall up sometimes you can get past that just by being kind to them, showing them kindness, showing them that, that you care, show that, showing them that you're actually listening to them. you really are listening, and that's a huge that's
1: huge mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because yes. that
1: they'll they'll pick up on that right away. <laughs> I'll, yeah. You know. And you're
0: going to stand out because first a lot of these people they don't feel heard. They feel like nobody's paying attention to them and it, that it's they get frustrated because they're just like I'm never nobody's ever going to help me because no one will even listen to me. No one will even believe me.
1: Right. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah.
0: Well, Heather, thank you so much for coming Thanks on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This has a, been a great episode. I really really appreciate you coming on here and agreeing to talk about this these difficult subjects.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you having me.
0: I've enjoyed talking to you. Well, you guys know you can find me at, you can, if you want, email me at tina at com. You can find me on social media at goodnursebadnurse and on my website at goodnursebadnurse.com. And of course, before we go, I have to remind you that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.